All right, thanks, Scott Shannon. Thanks to all of you for being with us. 800-941-SHAWN. You want to be a part of the program. I voice a little better. still feel like crap, but what are you going to do? The worst allergy season in the history of mankind. Uh, all right, so we got the big, uh, big showdown, big summit with Vladimir Putin. The only thing they agree on is things have never been worse than they are right now. Um, there's a couple of things about this. I want to be very, very blunt in saying this. Now, it was embarrassing this weekend. It was humiliating this weekend. Um, Joe Biden literally at one point wandered into the wrong cafeteria and in comes Jill Biden to uh, save him. And this is stuff the media will never tell you. You know, Joe Biden confusing Syria with Libya three times in 90 seconds. Yeah, that's embarrassing, too. Uh, Joe Biden interrupting the prime minister of Great Britain, Boris Johnson, suggesting that he overlooked introducing the president of South Africa when, in fact, Boris Johnson had already introduced the president of South Africa and everybody there laughs at Biden and Biden. Well, a lot of a lot of people may not know what COVID is. Is there one person on the face of the earth that doesn't know what COVID is? That's above the age of one. <laughs> you know, OK, Joe. You know, ending a press conference because he couldn't answer the question about Donald Trump stealing aluminum uh, uh, tariffs. That was something most people didn't pick up. You know, Jill Biden, you know, saving Joe because he was about to engage a reporter. Then another time, Joe said, I'm going to get in trouble if I answer too many questions. My staff didn't approve in advance. I'm like, this is humiliating. The only thing that I did agree with, he's saying, oh, he doesn't want to return to the U.S. I'm like, go ahead, stay, Joe. It's fine. He won't, I don't think you'll notice much of a difference anyway. Um, he, you know, it was... Oh. There was one moment, too, where literally Jill Biden had to say, Joe, pay attention. That was when he was speaking to the troops in the United Kingdom, and a woman shouts, I love you, Joe. President turns. You know, what, what woman said that to him? Joe, pay attention. I mean, it is it is bad. And he's bumbling through the G7 summit, you know, this this trail of of gaffes in his, his wake. Um, and then it gets even, you know, worse than that. I love uh, uh, Miranda Devine when he wasn't mixing up Syria and Libya, calling ch- climate change a sex essential <laughs> threat. Apparently use that thing harassing the full potential of democracy or wandering around looking like a soul lost in a lost soul in Cornwell. President Biden managed to tell us that the G7 had vowed to root out corruption and that shell companies and money laundering constitute a threat to our security. <laughs> I mean, when you really think about it, it's like the dumbest statement, most obvious statement on earth. Boris Johnson. Yeah, Joe, I already introduced the president of South Africa. We'll play all of this for you in the course of the program today. Um, I mean, it's just a mess. And now he's got to meet Putin one on one. Um, and I, and I have my thoughts on that. that I'm going to share in a second. You know, the problem is, is when Donald Trump went in there, I know some of you don't like Donald Trump. Don't like his style. Why does he have to tweet so much? I'll take the tweeting. He went in there and he rocked their world. He went in there demanding that these countries that we have been carrying for the entire time as in terms of NATO, that they pay their fair share. 
He went in there defiantly saying, I'm not going to be a part of, of the Paris Climate Accords when China and India are, are they, they're in the category of, of developing nations and pay next to nothing. And we foot the bill. Um, and whoa, this this guy was exactly what America needed and wanted. A strong American president that the world had respect for. And that's the word is respect and a and a healthy fear of healthy, meaning they kind of took Trump at his word. He's crazy enough. He'll do it. And that's how we got us freer and fairer trade deals. They had, you know, one time I was interviewing the president. I don't remember when I've interviewed him many times. And I and he said they have to believe it. You have to do it. You have to be willing to do it or it, it's meaningless. And then when he started putting the tariffs in place and following through on what he said he was going to do, the world took note and NATO started paying more. And and yeah, the climate accords we got out of and we're saving billions of dollars. And by the way, while simultaneously having the largest net reduction of carbon emissions on our own anyway. Why are we paying into the Paris Accords? Why are we paying more than China and India? Why are we always footing the bill for Europe security? And why did Joe just sign off on a pipeline that for Putin, a waiver so he could build his pipeline and then provide the all the energy, the lifeblood of our our allies economies? You know, that's only going to bring them closer together because they see a weakened United States. And and none of this is good. Now, you know, and let me be very, very honest here. And nobody else, I think, in the media will be able to tell you what I'm about to tell you or have the guts to tell you this. Now, Joe Biden said that he will not hold a joint press conference with Vladimir Putin. Now, and he said this is not a contest about who can do better in front of a press conference or try to not, uh, try to embarrass each other. He said, it's about making myself very clear what the conditions are to get a better relationship with Russia. The best way to to deal with uh, this is for he and I to meet and he and I to have our discussion. Uh, I know you you don't doubt that I'll be very straightforward with him. Let me let me tell you what I could. I would bet everything I have on. Whatever Biden is going to say after the meeting with Putin has already been written for Joe. It doesn't matter what actually really happens in the meeting. They're going to tell you what they want you to hear. Now, if they had a joint presser and Joe gave a list of things that didn't happen or mischaracterized what did happen, you know, Vladimir Putin is not one to be shy. He would call out Joe Biden in a heartbeat. It's not that it's it's not that Joe fears it's a contest. It's that they this is all about fear of everybody in world Biden of 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 being upstaged by Vladimir Putin, which would almost be a certainty if it were done in public. And they are deathly afraid of letting Joe, you know, Joe can barely function. And they're 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 holding him up every step of the way. And it's getting embarrassing. So they, they're not going to have the joint press conference like they didn't have it at the end of the G7, they're not going to have it on Wednesday. And whatever Biden tells you Wednesday after he meets with Putin is going to be written. It was already written probably before they left Washington. And it's clear that uh, Biden and the people around him and his staff 
they are deathly afraid to have this this cognitively weak, frail Joe Biden, you know, cognitively challenged president appear side by side with Vladimir because they know it's going to send the message that the leader of the free world is weak and failing and Putin is not above embarrassing Joe Biden. And that kind of message will invite aggression from our enemies. We're already seeing it unfold. You know, says, oh, he won't hold the joint press conference. It's not a contest. You know what? Whatever you're going to say to Putin behind closed doors, why don't you say it to his face in front of the world, Joe? Because Joe's afraid and his staff is afraid. And that's the state of the American presidency right now. You know, the, the, the perils of, of having somebody this weak and this frail and, and this cognitively weak is that, you know, it was, it's now becoming clear. Look at, for example, the walk back yesterday on the cybersecurity deal that Biden was seemingly agreeing with Vladimir Putin on that would have required the U.S. to give away the store to the Kremlin. Now, White House then comes out immediately thereafter and they have to fix Joe's mess and say that, uh, no, there's not going to be any cyber criminal swaps with Moscow because Biden immediately took it at face value, Vladimir's proposal to extradite any U.S. ransom hackers to Russia in exchange for sending any Russian hackers to the U.S. Now, Biden entertained the idea, and and Biden said he'd, you know, in, in, in a TV interview because he was not prepared for that question. They didn't plan for that question. Didn't expect that was a curveball, probably pre-planned by Vladimir, because Vladimir's smarter and sharper than than Joe. It's just, I mean, it's obvious. It's not a matter of, you know, I can't stand Putin. I understand Putin for who he is. This is a hostile regime. He is a hostile actor towards the United States of America, and he's not to be trusted. And his alignment with China providing arms to the Iranians should scare everybody. Anyway, Biden entertaining the idea uh, initially and immediately his staff has to come in and do damage control. And then Biden has to back up and say, well, I was briefed on the idea on the flight and it's it's a potential sign of progress only to have a security advisor say we already hold hackers to account. No, they don't. In the case of the Colonial Pipeline, they paid a ransom. Now, I'm told that the FBI and if they were able to pull this off, I'd major props to them were able to recover. I guess they were asking for cryptocurrency and were paid, I think in that case, four or $5 million. The beef industry, according to reports, paid 11 million in, you know, ransomware, both Russian hackers, according to our Intel agencies. But, uh, so they had to walk it back, but, but it's a clear illustration. Joe doesn't know the time of day. And this is just one example of it. You know, Putin was the one that said, look, if, if we agree to extradite criminals, then, of course, Russia will do that. Uh, we will do that, but only if the other side, in this case, the U.S., ag- agrees to the same and they will extradite criminals in question to the Russian Federation. And then Biden just said, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Well, he, he hadn't been briefed on the issue. He said, I'm open to it. And if crimes are committed against Russia, then, in fact, people committing those crimes that are being harbored in the U.S., I'm, I'm committed to holding them accountable. And immediately gets on an airplane and says, Joe, you just screwed up. You got to fix this. And then they send out the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, to clarify that Biden is not contemplating a swap. 
This is not about exchanges, not about swaps. And then saying that he suspected people suspected of cyber crimes in the U.S. are already held accountable. No, they're not. They're not held accountable because nobody's been arrested in the colonial pipeline hacking. Nobody's been arrested in the in the meat industry hacking. You know, what he's saying is if Vladimir wants to come and say, I'm prepared to make sure cyber crimes will be it's just it's it's just a game for them. You know, it's it's basically the game is uh, let's prop up the president and keep him out of trouble as long as we possibly can. But but we'll play this at the bottom of the hour. You know, the world laughed when he tried to correct Boris Johnson. Everybody laughed like, wake up, Joe, Joey. You know, it's not sippy cup time. It's wake up, not not night night time, not bedtime story time, Joey, not warm milky time. It's time to actually pay attention. And they and I think the world loves a weak America. They love it when we're going to pay their NATO bills. Meanwhile, they're doing billion-dollar energy deals with Vladimir. They love it when we're going to pay for their climate worldwide socialism. You know, him saying America back, he's basically saying America's back to being weak and easily intimidated, and America will foot the bill for everything. America last. And they like it when America puts America last. They think it's stupid, but they like it. All right, let's play some of Joe's moments from the G7 this weekend. You have said previously and in the run-up to the summit that you would be unafraid to call out Russia's uh, disruptive actions like cyber hacks, Ukraine, election interference. But you're not having a joint press conference with Putin. Why not take the chance to stand side-by-side with him and say those things to him with the world watching? (laughs) Well, let me make it clear. I think he's right. It's a low point. And uh, it depends on how he responds to acting consistent with international norms. With regard to, I always found, and uh, I don't mean to suggest that uh, the press should not know, but this is not a contest about who can do better in front of a press conference or try to embarrass each other. It's about making myself very clear what the conditions are to get a better relationship are with Russia. We're not looking for conflict. Um, We can work together with Russia. For example, uh, in uh, in Libya, we should be opening up the the passes to be able to go through and provide provide, uh, um, food assistance and economic, I mean, vital assistance to uh, a population that's in real trouble. Russia has engaged in activities which we believe are contrary to international norms. But they have also um, uh, bitten off some real problems they're going to have trouble chewing on. And, for example, the rebuilding of, uh, of, uh, of Syria, of, uh, of Libya, of, you know, this is, they're there. And as long as they're there without the ability to bring about some order in the, in the region, and you can't do that very well without providing for the basic economic needs of people. So I'm hopeful that we can find an accommodation that where we can save the lives of people in, for example, in, uh, in Libya. Thank you very much, sir. You have often said uh, repeatedly that America is back. Yes. Uh, at the same time, you've kept in place some Trump-era steel and aluminum sanctions. And I wanted to ask you, when you're having these conversations with European allies who are very concerned about these sanctions, how do you justify that? 
And what are your plans? 120 days. Give me a break. Need time. (laughs) So embarrassing. All right, 25 to the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN, our number. You want to be a part of the program. So every Sunday night or sometime during the day on Sunday, I try to go grocery shopping, pick up my, I don't know why I like to do it, but I like to, Linda laughs at me when I say that I do this. Not a week that goes by, I'm not going through my local grocery store and somebody says, what are you doing here? I'm shopping. Why? I like to eat. Anyway, if you go shopping like I do, and I like the fast checkout. I like to do it myself. Um, and anyway, I just race through the store. I get my stuff real quick. Boom, boom, boom. Out. I like to get in and out. Just run up and down the aisles as quick as I can. I know where everything I want, where it is. And I just grab it. And I know some people that work there. I always stop and say hello. Same people I see every week. Anyway, if you've been shopping, you know that the price of bacon and the price of fruit and vegetables and the price of meat have been going through the roof. Like, I, for example, I like BLT. I like to get a BLT. I put it on a Thomas's English muffin with mayo, you know, tomato. I like the Roma tomatoes. Uh, and I know I'm not. it's not supposed to be nutritious. Iceberg lettuce. And it's just great. And I usually put two pieces of Oscar Mayer thick, you know, extra thick bacon. And it's about eight bucks a pack now. Never used to be that. Ex- nowhere near that expensive. Um. And I'm, can I afford it? Yeah. Am I changing my, my habits? No. But everything is costing so much more. And I'm going to tell you what's happening is the Biden administration is fudging a lot of these inflation numbers. Now, we've been pointing out the price of a gallon of gasoline since Joe's been president, now up nearly eight consecutive weeks, is on average $1.10 higher than when he took office. And his policies are having a direct impact on the cost of a of a gallon of gasoline. It's costing more this summer. It'll cost more to cool your home and it'll cost more to heat it in the winter. You know, raw materials, lumber, what you, you know, what you used to pay $2,000 for a year ago, you're paying 10 or 11 grand for. And I know for a fact, because I have friends of mine that are builders and they're telling me lumber, paper, steel, glass, plastic, manufacturing, shipping, everything that you buy in every store costs more because the, the price of diesel going up through the roof, and and that means everything that is shipped to your grocery store, everything you buy at Lowe's and Home Depot, everything you buy at your drugstore is costing more. And all you have to do is go to the store on a regular basis. You know that it is happening. Then you got a widespread microchip shortage adding to retailers' struggles, making it harder to automate supply chains and and reduce costs as much as they possibly can. But so you got all these, there's a great article, I think it was on Yahoo News, Yahoo Finance. You know, you have inflationary pressures on both sides. Cost of materials, they're going up at the same time that demand is rising. You know, usually it's one or the other. Now it's it's one. <clears throat> Janet Yellen, is, it's a joke. She says, oh, inflation could reach as high as 3% this year. It's already higher than 3%. April was 4.2. May was 5%. So all of this... Uh, is is happening used cars are up almost 30 percent in just the last month it's up an additional 7.3 percent for used cars now when cars are in high demand used cars but in short supply and you know people look to spend less money if they have to buy a new vehicle they'll, they'll buy a used vehicle now the price of that is going through the roof 
So Americans wary of public transportation. Now, all right, used cars are at a premium right now. So the demand is outstripping the supply and that drives the price even higher. And, you know, look, if, if you want to buy furniture right now, okay, well, rising prices for lumber, leather, steel, acrylic, you know, okay, even simple things like a desk or a sofa, guess what? It's all going through the roof. You know, ocean freight shipping fees from Asia to the U.S. is quadrupled from about $1,500 a container to $6,000 in the past year. That's not good. And they've quoted one one executive in this article from Lazy Boy saying individually any one of these hurdles is not a significant is not that significant and could be overcome. But when they're coming at you from six, seven different directions, the magnitude of it adds up, you know, add to that. You, you can't factor you cannot minimize the factor of the price of energy. Price of energy is going through the roof. So what does Joe do? Joe now Chases, you know, helps Russia get rich again. He gets a waiver to build his pipeline. Our allies dependent now on Vladimir and his hostile regime for the lifeblood of their economies and, uh, you know, bringing these companies closer. I mean, go to this website, go download this app, Gas Buddy. It's really good, actually. You know, it tells you how high gas is going. It's paying five bucks a gallon in places in California. I've seen gas in New York as high as four dollars a gallon. You know, Costco, if you look, not just bacon, but steak, pork, chicken, all are pricier than they have been. Uh, Costco reported paying, they're paying their prices 20% more for beef than they were paying just a short time ago. And a lot of it is rising feed prices, rising transportation costs. And demands are now soaring as well. So they can add a premium on top of that as restaurants begin to reopen. And countries like, China, Vietnam, they want American pork and American beef. Well, that's good for our our producers. The hacking didn't particularly help. Um, you know, we, even, but then it even if you buy frozen breakfast sausages, for crying out loud, you know, it's a 50% increase. I mean, for Oscar Mayer, for, you know, a pack of thick cut bacon to be eight bucks a pack, that's a lot of money. A lot of people won't buy bacon at that that price. Unfortunately, I just happen to like it, and I'm going to buy it. Air, you know, airfare. Okay, bottom rates are gone. Now the cost of traveling this summer is through the roof. If you want to take a, even a family drive to wherever your vacation spot is, that's going to cost more. the The cost of clothing is going up through the the roof as well. Everything is going through the roof. You're paying more for everything. You know, add to that if they're successful. Now, it's interesting. Politico has a point out about Schumer, Biden, Pelosi. They're they're running out of time, thankfully, to get their infrastructure madness passed or anything of substance passed. You know, they're fixated and focused on on eliminating all integrity in all future elections with H.R. and S.R. one and eliminating the filibuster. Now Pelosi's even pushing for a minimum wage hike to be higher than $15 an hour. Um, you know, but also, the, you know, this was in Issues and Insights, I think a pretty pretty good analysis. Home prices are soaring. Now we still do have the lowest, the lowest rates available for home mortgages. Americanfinancing.net. I saw an article, I think it was in USA Today today. What, there's, there's 10 to 20 million people 
that have not refinanced their mortgage. If you're one of those people, you've got to refinance at these record low rates because they're going to go higher. And in the meantime, home prices are up a whopping 12.5% over last year alone. That's a lot. But this, the recent surge of inflation, that's not going to just go away. And the numbers, when you really dig down deeper, and this is the point they make in this article, it, it's much worse than it says it is. When the Bureau of Labor Statistics is claiming that housing costs are only up 2.2% and rents up 1.8%, it's, it's a joke. Because they're, they're claiming food prices are only up 2.2%. And that's a joke as well. There's a, you know Anyone who's been to the supermarket knows it's, it's total BS. This is what they're, they're just lying to you. You know, if you look at the agricultural commodity prices, in other words, the stuff that we use to make food, well, that's up over 50%. Corn prices are up 75%. Soybeans up 46%. Livestock is up 30%. Sugar is up 18%. Oil is up, you know, the highest price of the year for a barrel of oil. <laughs> Great, we just got out of the oil producing business. Oh, just like Hannity predicted, once we get out of the market, you, redu- you artificially reduce the world supply. Supply and demand crisscross dictates the price. When you artificially reduce the, de- the supply and the demand remains constant or even goes higher with the opening of economies, well, that means the prices are going to soar. Exactly what is now happening. You know, if you want to rent a car, that's up 110% year over year. Gas up 56%. You know, it used to be $2 a gallon. Now it's on average nearly three twenty-five. dollars Used cars are up over 30%. Laundry appliances, 27%. Airfares, 25%. Auto insurance, 17%. Moving, 16%. You know, it's everything in every aspect of your life. All right, add to that the corporate tax that they want to pass. Oh, corporations. We're going to tax these evil corporations. You know, they're making a big deal. And the more I dug deeper into all, all of these billionaires that don't pay taxes because they don't they don't take salaries. In other words, they hold on to their holdings, in other words, and they don't take their profits if their stocks go up. Now on paper you can own a piece of property. On paper you can get an appraisal for the property that you own. But the appraisal is one thing. The actual sale of such property might be very different in the end. Maybe you get more than you're asking. Doubtful, but it does happen. Maybe, But in all likelihood, you're going to get less than what the appraised value is or somewhere near that value. But that's only a snapshot of what the value is on any given day. And when you own property, for example, your own stock or your own a company, on any given day, the value goes up or it goes down. And it's when you actually sell it that you then get, quote, income vis-a-vis capital gains or, or income, whatever way it's going to be characterized, and then you got to pay for it. I mean, this is simple, basic economics. So the fact that they take zero pay, zero salary, and they hold on to their stock and they hold on to their their holdings and their properties, et cetera, yeah, based on the laws, it would be okay. That would be, um, that would be, a, you're not going to pay taxes that year because you haven't taken any money out of, out of, out of any of your investments. And with every investment comes a risk factor. You know, I would argue I, I'm not the, I'm not. Don't take any financial advice from me. 
But I would argue probably the stock market is due for a correction at some point here and an average correction 20, 30 percent. And that would mean, okay, your valuation of whatever stocks you have, whatever portfolio you may have is X today if you sold today. But maybe if that correction happens and you sell them, maybe even below water at that point. I don't know. It's just it's it's the it's the nature of markets. The reason you want to invest in your in a home because over time home values go up. You know, most economic advisors would tell you that, you know, if you're going to put money in the stock market, don't make it money that you're going to likely need in the next 10 years. That's a long term financial play. And history has proven that it's a usually a, a good, steady investment, safe, protected for the time when you ultimately want to retire. And when you're getting close to retirement, then you even move into safer forms of investment. So, I mean, it's just unbelievable. Um, there's an American. Um, uh, there's a woman that defected from North Korea. In 2007, age of 13. And actually says North Korea was not this nuts after attending an Ivy League university. I mean, think about the wokeness that goes on and the indoctrination that takes place in our, our school systems. Anyway, one of several hundred North Korean defectors that settled in the United States uh, transferred to Columbia. This particular woman, her name is, uh, you know, I'm not going to get it right. Inomi Park, I think is how you say it. Anyway, she transferred to Columbia from a South Korean university 2016. These are her words. I expected that I was paying this fortune all this time and energy to learn how to think, but they're forcing you to think the way they want you to think. She said this in an interview on foxnews.com. I realized, wow, this is insane. I thought America was different. But I saw so many similarities to what I saw in North Korea, and I started worrying. And those similarities included anti-Western sentiment, collective guilt, suffocating PC. She saw many red flags just upon arriving at school. During orientation, she was scolded by a university staff member for admitting that she enjoyed classic literature such as Jane Austen. I said, I love those books. I thought it was a good thing, she recalled. Then she said, did you know these writers had a colonial mindset? They were racist and bigots and subconsciously they were brainwashing you. And then says it got worse from there, that every one of her classes at this Ivy League school, Columbia, was infected, her words, not mine, with what she saw as anti-American propaganda. American bastard was one word for North Korean. She was taught growing up. The math problems would say, well, three are, there are four American bastards. You killed two of them. How many bastards are left to kill? She said, English is my third language. I learned it as an adult. I sometimes still say he or she by mistake, and now they're going to ask me to, to call them they. How the heck do I incorporate that into my sentences? It was chaos, she said. It felt like regression in civilization. Even North Korea is not this nuts. Think about that and what's going on in your public school system. I think, you know, I really do believe that what happened at that Islander game six against the Bruins when the fans took over the singing of the national anthem, this, this might be a tipping point. People are, had it. They've had it with all of it. All right, hour two, Sean Hannity Show. Thanks for being with us. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. So um, I have been saying, and I stand by my comments, that Nancy Pelosi is 
Speaker of the House in name only. It is really the squad that is running the show. You know, I, I love how AOC now thinks she's going to she's calling for Stephen Breyer to step down from the Supreme Court because he's 82 years old. Sounds like she's discriminating against old people or older people. Uh, that would be his decision. Um, Ocasio-Cortez slamming the the mild, tiny, little, teeny-weeny little brushback against Congresswoman Omar. Uh, we have been through this left and right. You know, it's uh, even Hamas <laughs> denounced Omar's uh, remarks equating Palestinian res- resistance to crimes of uh, the U.S. and Israel. Uh, Ronna McDaniel is the GOP chair, and she slammed Omar as anti-Semitic. Uh, Omar saying, of course, that like Hamas, America, like Hamas and the Taliban, America has committed unthinkable atrocities. Omar retweets a video by an anti-Israeli group uh, being investigated by the FBI for possible terrorism ties. Pelosi, Omar is a valued member of the Democratic uh, caucus, we did not rebuke her after pressure to stop the virulent anti-Semitism. Anyway, with all of that said and all that's been going on, it is now absolutely clear that Nancy Pelosi has no control over the radicals that now run that party. And she fears just like Biden fears, just like Schumer fears all things uh, Alexandria ocasio Cortez and the squad. I mean, if you don't believe me, let's listen to Nancy Pelosi's, you know, back and forth and madness and ups and downs and insanity here. I say to the candidates, do whatever you have to do. Just win, baby. We have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. I'd never had this experience before, but I was just crowded in in my chair. And I was like, what is happening here? And then I realized that sitting on the chair with me was Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady, Stan, Alice, Paul, uh, Sojourner Truth, Lucretia Mott. They were all right there on the chair with me. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country, and maybe there will be. The Constitution does not say that a person can shout, yell, wolf in a crowded theater. I was thinking he was more of a creature that stalked the night, that these things just came out at night like a vampire. You yourself uh, said that you thought that Comey's behavior was inappropriate, his actions were inappropriate, and that he should be fired. So no, it, I never said he should be fired. Oh, no. I understand this. Well, wait. Yeah. Was there obstruction? Yours too. Was there obstruction? No, yours yeah. too. Takes no, two it wasn't to, obstruction. You yeah, held out for eight months. No, no, we held it up because there was no, no respect for our heroes. The president just tweeted, stimulus, go big or go home. He wants even That's more right. right now. So why That's not right. Why not work out That's a deal right. with him and don't let the perfect, as they say here in Washington, be the enemy of the good. Well, I will not let the wrong be the enemy of the right. What's wrong with $1.8 trillion? You know what? Do you have any idea what the difference is between the spending that they have in their bill and that we have in our bill? Do you have any idea of how woefully short they're concerned? That's why it's so so important right now. Yesterday, I spoke to Andrew Yang, who says the same thing. It's not everything you want, but but there's a lot there. Honest to God, you really, uh, I can't get over it. What makes me amused? if it weren't so sad, is how you all think that you know more about the suffering of the American people than those of us who are elected by them. Don't mess with me. Don't mess with me. Oh, okay. There's Speaker of the House, name only, Nancy Pelosi. Anyway, earlier today, Congressman Louis Gohmert, our friend from Texas, uh, joining with Congressman 
Andrew Clyde have filed a joint lawsuit in D.C. in the circuit court against Nancy, Nancy Pelosi. Her orders to search members of Congress before they can go into the House chamber, of which they've been elected for votes. Our friend Ken Cuccinelli is going to be the lawyer in this in, in this suit. Uh, the House passing this bill imposing a $5,000 fine against any member for failure to complete security screening for entrance to the House chamber. $10,000 fine subsequent violation. A violation of the 27th Amendment to the Constitution to withhold or increase members' pay. And also Article 1, Section 6 of the Constitution says you cannot interfere with a member of Congress on the way to the House floor to conduct business who's headed for a vote. Uh, seems on the merits that this could pass. Louis Gohmert and Congressman Andrew Clyde are with us, the people that are, are battling against these draconian laws. By the way, they still have their mask mandate on the House floor, Louis. Well, we've gotten word today that uh, if you uh, are willing to violate HIPAA and show that you have had the vaccine, then you are uh, able to come on without a mask. But if you are not willing to violate HIPAA with them, then uh, you... How about it's none of their business, and if they've had an opportunity to get the vaccine since late last year, and it's there, and if the vaccine is safe, as they tell us it is, Louis, it shouldn't matter whether or not other members are vaccinated or not. And you had coronavirus. You're so logical, you can't apply that same logic to the Speaker of the House. It, it doesn't work that way. So, uh, so yeah, it ought to be exactly as you say, that if you've had the vaccination and you think it's so good, then you're covered, you know, uh, so you're not at risk. But that it is more about forcing people into uh, just complying, bowing and scraping, doing what we're told and not asking questions. And that's why Andrew and I have gone, wait, she's violating the Constitution by detaining us. We, Sean, we've had people that have missed votes, Republicans, don't know of any Democrats, but Republicans that were held up to be searched and they get in and just the vote gets shut down as they get inside. Well, that's why that's in the Constitution. And then also you have the 27th Amendment that says you can't vary somebody's pay during the same session that the rule or law were put into into uh, being. Now, can so, you get, can, is this something you might be able to get an injunction with, or is that not a possibility? Uh, let me bring that's in Andrew exactly Clyde. What, that's exactly what we're trying to do. Andrew? Sean, it's a pleasure to uh, be with you today. And yes, that's exactly what we're trying to do. Um, we're going to uh, get an injunction against um, this unconstitutional House Resolution uh, 73. And uh, we're going to stop Nancy Pelosi from doing this to the members of the House. All right. So I would think you have a, a good chance. Well, you know, the problem is, is it all depends what what court you go to. Anything in D.C., frankly, I don't I don't have a lot of faith in Louie. I'm not going to lie. You know, I feel like, you know, the deck is stacked against any conservative. How is it that Nancy Pelosi allows the squad members to make these extremely virulent anti-Semitic remarks and and get away with it. Do you agree with my theory? Well, I think it's pretty solid, Louis, that Nancy Pelosi really is living in a constant state of panic and fear, and she knows at any moment the squad could unite and, and have her removed as, as speaker. It's precisely what has happened. 
And uh, one of the Democrats told me, and it's been a while back, I don't know what the numbers are currently, but that uh, uh, AOC may have twice as many followers as the Speaker, and apparently that is scary to the Speaker. But I'm telling you, Sean, back in 07 to 2011, the Speaker, Speaker Pelosi, ran things with an iron fist. Nobody dared cross her, uh, and she fired John Dingell, beloved member, honest, honorable, good, decent man, because he didn't want to push through the cap-and-trade bill because it was a as he said, not only a tax, a great big tax, she fired him. But the speaker we have now is very, very different. Uh, She runs back and forth, and obviously, you know, she takes a stand like saying, uh, we're not doing impeachment unless the two things, evidence overwhelming and it's bipartisan, and the squad tells her, oh, yes, we're going to do impeachment anyway, and so she does it. Or, so it's not unusual for her to take a strong stand, and the squad says no. Like she was going to come out and condemn the very anti-Semitic um, statements, what, a year or so ago? And then the squad said, no, you're not going to condemn one of us. And so she didn't. It's, a, it's amazing what the, what they can get away with. And, and there's such a double standard. All right. So we've been going over Congressman Clyde, you know, Joe Biden and this, this his cognitive struggles, which seemed many. I mean, I, you know, between Joe Biden confusing Syria and Libya, not once, not twice, but three times or interrupting the the U.K. Prime Minister Boris Johnson, suggesting that he overlooked introducing the president of South Africa when he did not do any such thing. And and Joe confusing reporters after saying a lot of people may not know what what COVID is. I'm like, okay. Uh, Joe then ending a press conference asking about, you know, former President Trump steel and you uh, aluminum tariffs. Joe expressing he would get in trouble by taking too many questions again, because, of course, nobody on his staff wants him to ever open in his mouth. Uh, Joe Biden having to, you know, recover and, and chastise him uh, as he's trying to engage a reporter. Joe saying he doesn't want to return to the U.S., which I'm fine with. Joe Biden dodging a, a handshake with Boris Johnson. Uh, I, you know, Joe, pay in a, pay attention. I mean, it's it's really bad. Uh, Andrew Clyde, you know, Sean, if uh, if President Biden doesn't turn to the United States, that probably just gives uh, Speaker Pelosi more power. And that's probably something that she uh, would certainly be interested in. Um, but I'll tell you that uh, this House Resolution 73 is a very, very dangerous thing for our country. And that's why we um, we filed this lawsuit against it. All right, quick break. We'll come back more on the other side. Uh, Louis Gohmert and Congressman Andrew Clyde will be joined by their lawyer, by the way, in this case, Ken Cuccinelli, as we continue. Then we'll get to your calls at the bottom of the half hour, 800-941-SEAN, our number. You want to be a part of the program. All right, as we continue with Congressman Louis Gohmert, Congressman Andrew Clyde, now joined by their attorney in this lawsuit against Nancy Pelosi, Ken Cuccinelli is with us. Well, let me get Ken Cuccinelli is on the line with us, too. He's your lawyer representing this case. Ken, good lawyer. Um, I have a lot of respect for your legal mind. Can you get an injunction? Is this anything you're going to be able to stop quickly, or are we dealing with D.C. courts and, you know, it's a crapshoot? Well, it is D.C. court, Sean, and it's the federal courts there, and uh, whoever loses will surely appeal, so we'll be in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals as well, I'm sure. But uh, we hope to do this the first round all in this calendar year. We'll see how that goes, Uh, but it's going to take a little bit of time. We are seeking an injunction of both the sergeant-at-arms from enforcing this resolution and from them taking the money from 
not just Congressman Clyde and, and uh, Gomert, but the others that they're putting through the process right now who are all Republicans. The only Democrat who came close to this was Congressman Clyburn, and, and the Ethics Committee promptly let him off. Um, and Speaker Pelosi is seen on video bypassing magnetometers, and she hasn't been uh, fined. So this is, in addition to being unconstitutional, it's being enforced only against the minority Republican Party. So to, to uh, you know, really emphasize the authoritarian approach that Speaker Pelosi takes to the House. But I'm confident we'll win when this is all said and done. I mean, it's ridiculous. Now, what's your take legally on the COVID restrictions? You know, now you need now they're finding members that don't wear a mask on the House floor. Now, my understanding is that once fully vaccinated, you no longer need to worry about COVID. That's what they've been telling everybody. I refuse to play doctor on radio and TV. But so if Louis Gohmert, who was very public about the fact and and we talked to him almost every day when he got sick. Well, you did. uh, uh, you know, Louis Gohmert has natural immunity. There was a Cleveland Clinic study last week that says that you don't need to get a vaccine. Louis, I don't know if you did or not, but that's you don't have to share it if you don't want to. It's your business. Um, but now they're finding Sean, people. How do they get away with finding people? Well, uh, honestly, the 27th Amendment uh, claim that that Congressman Gohmert and Clyde have in this situation with the magnetometers it can also be brought up in the mask situation. Now, there'll be other technical arguments, but you make uh, an outstanding point. If, if their facts are that they're trying to find someone who is vaccinated um, or compel them to reveal their medical treatment, vaccination, or they get fined, um, you know, that that gives them some trouble. Now, no court has ever decided on the viability of fines for punishment since the 27th Amendment went into place because it's the newest amendment. Most people listening probably don't know what it is. It was uh, enacted in 1992. James Madison introduced it. It took over 200 years to ratify, but you can't vary the pay of a congressional member in the same Congress in which that adjustment is proposed. And that's exactly what they're doing with the fines um, in this situation. They're taking the pay of these members. And back in the founding period, that was one way states put pressure on their congressional representatives. And the founders knew it. James Madison knew it. They put in an amendment to avoid that inappropriate behavior. And we're seeing Speaker Pelosi attempt to use exactly that kind of pressure to compel Republicans to behave consistent with her narrative. The enemy is within that whole line of argument that we that there is no intelligence for, that the chief of the Capitol Police has said there's no intelligence or data for, and yet Speaker Pelosi continues to push it, in this case, unconstitutionally. All right, I appreciate you guys being with us. We'll follow the suit. Louis Gohmert, uh, Congressman Andrew Clyde, Ken Cuccinelli, thanks for being with us. Quick break, right back. Your call's on the other side, straight ahead. All right, 25 to the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program? I mean, I, the, the media will never cover this because they just, it's the Joe Biden, Kamala Harris uh, presidential, vice presidential protection program. Um, it was embarrassing beyond belief to watch. And, and I'll tell you, the, the look, the media may try to ignore Biden's cognitive struggles and frailness and weakness. Nobody else is going to play the American media game. And let me tell you something. The world likes a weak America. America's back. What does that mean, America's back, to being weak? 
America is back to being subservient to the world opinion and funding the Paris Climate Accords while allowing India and China to be classified as developing nations. Uh, America's back. Um, okay, but you're, we have a president fearful to hold a press conference with Putin because his entire team and the entire world know that he, while he claims he doesn't want to do it because he doesn't want to get diverted by who talked the most, everybody knows that Putin will eat his lunch. Putin's salivating at dealing with Joe. I mean, it's... It's I mean, Joe wandering into the wrong cafeteria and his wife has to find him and lead him to the right path. You want to, you know, Joe confusing Syria and Libya three times. Joe interrupting Prime Minister Boris Johnson to suggest that he overlooked introducing the president of South Africa that he just introduced Joe. Pay attention. Keep up. Or Joe can confuses reporters with a, a lot of people may not know what COVID is. Really? It's humiliating. I, you know, okay, well, what, what was Donald Trump? He was a disruptor. NATO, you're not paying your fair share. Step up and pay your fair share. What was the result? They paid their fair share. The world doesn't want to pay their fair share. They want America to foot the bill. They don't care about America's deficits. They, they want to pay less. It's, you know, let America get along with Iran again. Oh, we're going to build them out. Give Putin a waiver for his pipeline, fire American workers. You know, Biden has to end the press conference when asked about Trump's steel and aluminum tariffs because he doesn't have an answer. And then again, expressing he's going to get in trouble by taking too many questions because his staff is telling him what to do. Jill Biden has to retrieve Biden as he engages a reporter because nobody knows what's going to come flying out of his mouth. And Joe Biden saying, you don't want to return to the U.S.? Don't. It's unbelievable. Everybody in the water. President Biden, Jill Biden arrived to take a picture. World leaders. Everybody should jump in the water. You know, Biden's speaking to troops uh, stationed in the U.K., one woman in the crowd shouting, I love you, Joe, prompting the president to turn and look uh, to learn the identity of the woman. Joe, pay attention. Jill Biden prompts him to turn around. I mean, it's I mean, you know, I will tell you, it is sad that. How do I say this in the right way? It is just sad that the people around him, they know that he's in bad shape and they're propping him up. They're trying their best to prop him up. You know, a, a trail of gaffes in his wake. You know, now, now they're doing cleanup over this this idiocy um, over Joe Biden uh, saying, sure, we'll uh, we'll have a prisoner exchange. Uh, sure. In terms of spies. Whoops, he didn't check with his team before he, he he came out with that beauty. The whole thing's embarrassing. You know, Biden's policy stifling economic recovery. Just let, I'll let you decide. Listen, this, this is your president abroad for the first time. Um, we could work together with Russia, for example, uh, in uh in Libya, we should be opening up the the, the, the Syria, passes to be able to go through and provide uh, 
provide uh, um, food assistance and economic assistance, I mean, vital assistance to uh, a population that's in real trouble. Russia has engaged in activities which are, we believe are contrary to international norms, but they have also um, uh, bitten off some real problems they're going to have trouble chewing on. And for example, the rebuilding of, uh, of, uh, of Syria, of, uh, of Libya, of, you know, this is, they're there. Strike two. And as long as they're there without the ability to bring about some order in the, in the region, and you can't do that very well without providing for the basic economic needs of people. So I'm hopeful that we can find an accommodation that where we can save the lives of people in, for example, in, uh, in Libya. COVID is, in, I know you all know, but a lot of people may not know what COVID is. How are your meetings going in Cornwall, Mr. President? How are your meetings going here in Cornwall? Very well. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Jill Biden to the rescue. Come on, Joey. Come on, Joey. Come on, come on. Come on, come on. Keep up, Joe. Please. I've been telling you all week. You got to pay attention. Uh, it's just, it's humiliating. Anyway, uh, Tony in New York. What's up, Tony? How are you? Hi, Sean. I'm a first time caller and a long time listener to you and your your uh, TV show. Thank you. I appreciate and, you being with us. And I was moved by your replaying of the national anthem. That's what actually prompted me to call in game six. It left a lump in my throat when I watched it. And when I heard it again, it did the same thing. And I, I've now watched it like five times. It's done it to me every time. You know, it's going to be interesting. Did you watch the game yesterday? It was a late afternoon game yesterday. The I, Islanders beat yes. Tampa Bay uh, two to one. Yes, I, um, did. I watched that whole game. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It was like on pins and needles the last minute. It was a little a little dicey there that last minute. Anyway, um, you know what's going to be interesting? Because I did watch very closely the anthem in Tampa, and it was just a, it was normal. You know, just you had a great singer, and everybody stood respectfully. I didn't see anybody take a knee on the ice, thankfully. And anyway, it'll be interesting when they get back to the Nassau Coliseum, I think on, what day is today? Um, I think Thursday, right? No, they're back there tomorrow, Tuesday. They're playing there tomorrow, or are they in yes, Tampa tomorrow? So. Or they're in Tampa I, th- tomorrow. I think they It'll play the first race. two games in Tampa, then the next two games a- at home, right? Yes, you are correct. <laughs> okay. So when they get back, so they would play tomorrow, Tuesday, and then I would assume Thursday at the Coliseum. Yes. I wonder if it's going to happen again. You know, I certainly hope so. <laughs> that would be, I mean, that would be a pretty amazing thing. Now, if you go back when the Flyers had their great run, and then when they were the Broad Street Bullies and Bernie Clark and and Reggie Leach and Rick McLeish and Dave Schultz and Hound Dog Kelly and Bernie Perrant and, and Goal and and Tom Layden with a slap shot. I've never seen anyone hit, you know, hit a slap shot like that guy. Anyway, when they were the Broad Street Bullies and it was a big game, They'd play Kate Smith's God Bless America. 
Yes. And their win record percentage was like through the roof forever on that whole thing. Um, you never yes. know. It could become a trend for the Islanders. I certainly hope so. And they're going to get the cup this year. I have no doubts whatsoever. All right. All right. Don't jinx it. All right. Enough now. Don't jinx it. Um, no, it would be fun to see them win. It certainly would be fun if they can win this series. And then they, you got Montreal and Vegas uh, going at it tonight. Uh, thank you, sir. All right. Back to our busy phones. Bob in Texas. What's up, Bob? How are you? Hello. Let me get off my Bluetooth. I'm trying to. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. Get off your Bluetooth. I don't even know how to get on a Bluetooth, but go ahead. Uh, the reason why I'm calling is I, I appreciate, I'm sure the, the public appreciates your tireless effort to to bring us all this information, but the... No, some people actually hate me, but it's fine. I'm fine with it. Don't worry. Well, we, we don't care about them, do we? I certainly uh, don't. What I'm, what, I'm, what I'm getting at is we, we love the information, but we... Uh, majority of your listeners are blue collar like me, and we would love to do something about it. That we there, I guess, a lack of leadership. Uh, somebody who's got the the knowledge to point us in the right direction. I mean, you, you probably got people hand over fist that would be willing to start something. I listen. I I feel it building organically, and and what I would remind people is you got to start local. Um, there was an article out earlier today that I read, um, for example, in Pennsylvania, they are now moving forward with election reform in the great state of Pennsylvania, just like they did in Georgia. And although they need to add one thing in Georgia, that's signature verification, in my view, I think that's missing. And I think everybody's got to understand that we need integrity and you need five things. Pennsylvanians. Pennsylvania Republicans introduced a sweeping election reform bill. And by the way, it is as inclusive as any. It allows imp- early in-person voting starting in 2025. Um, it, uh, it calls for signature verification. The f- my five things, my five items are voter ID, signature verification, chain of custody controls, um, partisan observers, because it's already written into the law, should be able to watch the vote count start to finish, and you clean up the voting rolls every every year, every voting year. Uh, it's not that complicated, and, and there's nothing restrictive about it. If we're moving towards mail-in balloting, then you've got to especially have voter ID and signature verification. It's mandatory. You might um, want to add number six to that, and that's accountability. Well, I mean, that goes with it. I mean, it's kind of unstated, but yeah, accountability, I agree with you. Because that's lacking in a lot of things right now, and uh, that's where, you know, the public gets uh, frustrated with, you know. Well, here's the thing, though, but it's it's up to all of us individually to do that. So, uh, look, I'm saying that that is key. Otherwise, look, the reason the Democrats want HRSR1 is they don't want integrity. The only reason I can think of when you need a picture ID to get everything in life that they don't want it is they've got nefarious intentions. So to ensure integrity and confidence in the outcome of elections, these are the basic fundamental and fair things that are needed to ensure that. So that's the first step. The next step is, well, 2022 is coming and and. Whether Republicans get back the House and whether Republicans get a majority in the Senate is going to make a massive difference. You know, Florida's got a Senate race. Georgia's got one. North and South Carolina have one. 
Uh, New Hampshire has one. Wisconsin has one. Ohio has one. Arizona has one. I mean, we th- these are bellwether elections, and and then you prosecute the case against New Green Deal socialism, and it it's it'll write itself, and then you lay out what works for America. And I've been saying it in less than a minute what it means to me to be a conservative. I don't think it's that complicated. Oh, no, it's not. And you know, I agree with everything you're saying, but the the, the leadership on our side is just very weak. Well, you know, there are weak leaders, and, and it's our job to hold them accountable. True. You know, uh, it, it's really, at the, the, at the end of the day, it's we're going to get the government we deserve at the end of the day. At the end bad. of the day, everybody, I get it, we're all busy. We all, nobody, I don't know any, how many hours do you work a day? I don't work less than 16. How many do you work? 10 to 12. Okay, that's minimum. And if you have young kids, then you got to go home, you know, you got to feed them and you got to read to them. Then you pass out. Then you get up, you shovel coffee down your throat. You make them a lunch for school sometimes or they give money for school lunch. You know, make sure their bags are packed. They're ready to go. Get them off to school and you're racing off and, and your day doesn't start stop for the next 12 hours. That's that's called living. That's called life. And And there's a certain grind factor to all of it. But with that said... To let government go unchecked ends in a disaster. I, I Look, I, I can sense Tea Party 2.0, Trump 2.0 beginning its rise. Every time socialism is tried, it fails. Stay right here for our final news roundup and information overload. All right, news roundup, information overload, hour 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. All right, so I guess it's Wednesday, the big presser with... Vladimir Putin. I mean, it's pretty embarrassing that we have a U.S. president that is there. He's going to come out of this this meeting with Putin and he's going to say talk tough, but he won't hold the joint press conference, which historically happens after a summit such as this with Putin. And, you know, and he has the lamest of excuse. Well, I don't I don't want people to get diverted uh, by who talked the most or who did a better job at the press conference. It's not that it's because the Joe Biden behind the scenes is not going to be the Joe Biden in front of the cameras. The, the talking points, regardless of what happens in that meeting, I can tell you right now, guarantee you right now that it has already been written what Joe Biden is going to say after when he holds his, quote, press conference alone after meeting with Vladimir Putin. They've already written what he's going to say, regardless of anything that might happen in that meeting. There's not going to be a Reagan uh, yet not happening walk away from the table at Reykjavik moment because Joe Biden is not even cognitively aware what day of the week it is. So it's it's just so disingenuous that. You know, and so transparent to everybody that Joe Biden is afraid, you know, everybody knowing his cognitive weaknesses, everything that we've been pointing out all day that went on over the weekend, which was humiliating for the United States. And he has no plans for a press conference. And it's obvious that he's afraid to have it. And it's obvious that everything you're going to hear is nothing but pre-written propaganda that the media, you know, mob is is just going to take as gospel truth. You know, say this, this isn't a contest about who can do better in front of the press conference or try to embarrass each other. It's about making myself very clear what the conditions are to get a better relationship with Russia. Now, what's fascinating in the lead up to all of this 
And one of the problems you have when and when you have a president that's not really up to speed and is being spoon fed every word that comes out of his mouth. Um, the White House you know, had to do a lot of cleanup yesterday after Biden saying, you know, the White House clarifying, no, Joe Biden won't be doing any any prisoner swaps, cyber criminals with Moscow. Because because Biden, when he went rogue on his own, took at face value Vladimir's proposal that he floated to extradite any U.S. ransom hackers to Russia in exchange for sending the Russian hackers like the Colonial Pipeline, like our meat industry to the U.S. And Biden immediately entertained the idea. And Biden said that he'd been briefed on the idea in flight and called it a potential sign of progress only to have his own security advisor note that the U.S. already holds hackers accountable. So, in other words, Joe went off 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 script and another embarrassing moment. Now, Putin is laughing. I mean, Boris Johnson clearly when he was corrected by Joe saying, well, you need to introduce the South African president. Uh, I already did, Joe. And everybody starts laughing. Jill Biden having to retrieve her husband from the wrong cafeteria is embarrassing. I'm not allowed to take any more questions because they'll get mad at me is embarrassing. Mixing up Libya and Syria three times in a row in 90 seconds is embarrassing. And it's humiliating on the world stage. Anyway, somebody that knows a thing or two about all this, Scott Eulinger is back with us, retired CIA op officer, Russian intel operations expert, and Kyron Skinner's with us, former director of policy planning at the Department of State in the Trump administration. Welcome both of you back to the program. And I want to ask you both the same question, and Scott, we'll start with you. And that is, am I wrong in my assessment that these hostile regimes led by hostile actors, in other words, Russia, Putin, China, President Xi, uh, Kim Jong-un, North Korea, Mullah's Iran, Am I wrong in my assessment is that they study American presidents to, to the very detail and they have already made assessments on, say, on Joe Biden? And in other words, or would they be influenced by the America media and their coverage of Biden, which I would argue is a veneer and a, and a phony image to protect Joe Biden? In other words, let me ask you straight up. Do these hostile regimes see Joe Biden as cognitively weak, frail, and and compromised? I think that there's no question about that, Sean. And I think that if there were any doubts, those were removed at this embarrassing G7 summit. Um, I think the main problem is the Democrats have forgotten or maybe don't care that U.S. media complicity with Biden's obvious health problems cannot gloss over his performance with world leaders. These people are physically seeing this man in action, and they are not impressed. And, and the preliminary moves by Putin indicate that you know, he is well onto this game and he's going to go out of his way, he already has, to attempt to embarrass the United States. And that's one reason why Biden's staff seems to have suddenly seen this problem at the G7. And now they have made the you know, rather hasty decision that they don't want Biden to appear with Putin together because they're afraid of what's going to happen. And it's not because, you know, as Biden says, we don't want to, you know, we can, uh, we don't want to embarrass each other. It's because they don't want to have another incident like they had at the G7. These are not the moves of a competent or cognizant president. And your take, Kyron Skinner. I agree. And this has been a very disturbing set of, of activities the last few days in Europe. And I'm not looking forward to the Biden-Putin um, meeting because um, of what we've already seen. Um, but there's another point um, related to what you've just said about foreign leaders. Are they watching closely? 
they're even letting us know that they are. The Chinese representative in London has um, critiqued in the press um, the G7 meeting, issuing a, a, a public statement. They're watching very, very closely, and our allies are equally concerned. And that's what I, I take from this meeting. They see a weakened United States. But, wait, but are they the really concerned, so though, Kyron, or do they like the fact that the pressure to pay their fair share for NATO is gone, that the United States is back in the, the, the Paris Climate Accords that allows India and, and China uh, to be designated as developing nations, and we pay the bulk of the freight for everything? Because I think they prefer that America pay for everything, and they probably like a weak Joe. Well, I think that's a good question, but I, there's a mixed answer to that. It depends on um, the leader you're talking about. I'm sure Boris Johnson um, is beyond concerned. He was interrupted by the, um, the, the American president on the um, matter of the South African leader who was there. He introduced um, all of the um, G7 leaders and partners, including the South African president. And um, Biden interrupted him, saying you must introduce the South African leader, only to be told that he's been introduced already. So and I then everybody laughed at him. They did, and these are laughable moments, and they're not showing restraint. But you're talking about a deeper policy issue. It's true, when Trump campaigned in 2016, only four or five of the then 29 members of NATO lived up to the 2% of GDP for defense, and now we have, with 30 NATO members, about 11 countries meeting that goal. Trump has a lot to do with it. Some countries, like Germany, would be happy perhaps not to go um, to 2%. But the leaders in NATO and in Europe, more broadly, came to understand that Trump represented a strong America, and that was in their interest. Grudgingly, they recognized it. A weakened United States isn't even good for them. It's not just that we'll pay their bills um, in defense so that they can focus on social policy. It is that they can't alone deal with the twin or triple problems of Russia, China, Iran, and then you add in North Korea, as you've mentioned. They know that a strong America is part of their future. And I saw that as I engaged with NATO partners, in particular while at the State Department. There was grudging respect for what we were doing. I'm worried now. Well, I mean, this is, this is now extraordinarily difficult. I mean, and what I see you know, look, Scott, for example, you could see Putin is back on the border with Ukraine. You can see the the geopolitical, uh, I, I guess, aggressiveness of the of communist Chinese, uh, you know, all throughout the region. There are signs that that they have now grown emboldened. Uh, one of the most underreported stories I see, Scott, is that both Russia and China are providing arms to the Iranians that they are then shipping to Yemen uh, so they can fight their proxy war throughout the rest of the Middle East. That is that is an unholy alliance if I've ever seen one, and it's developing right before our eyes in real time, and nobody nobody's mentioned a word about it. And Joe Biden wants to get back into negotiations with the Iranians and I guess is willing to pay them you know more billions of dollars for nothing in return. Right. So the, so the United States is telegraphing on multiple stages across the world that it is willing to, to you know, lean toward the 
desires of dictators throughout, and it's a real problem. And another problem, again, is that the, the Democrats don't understand that their domestic agenda is, you, is helping to humiliate the United States. The, I guess the Democrats think that, you know, domestic politics are different and are separate from international politics, but it doesn't work that way, because they are monitoring events in our own country. And that's why you have Putin making statements like kind of joking that he doesn't support BLM. And when you have a, you know, our national leadership now is too happy to point out the flaws, real and perceived, of America on the world stage. So why would we expect other nations' leaders to say any differently about the United States if we're telegraphing that our own country is not a good country? So these are examples of how democratic political rhetoric is poisoning international relations because they look upon it as if the Americans don't respect themselves, then why should we respect them? And then you're going to have, well, obviously, continued problems at national security. All right, quick break. We'll come back more with Scott Eulinger, Kyron Skinner on the other side. Then your calls, 800-941-SEAN, our number. All right, we continue with Scott Eulinger and Kyron Skinner. Yep, the lead up to this Putin beatdown of Biden, which is coming on Wednesday. And I personally am worried about how compromised the Biden family is with all of these countries based on the actions of Hunter and Joe now caught in a bold-faced lie over never having spoken to Hunter about his foreign business dealings. Now we have evidence to the contrary that, as vice president, he was meeting with Hunter's foreign business contacts. Uh, that then raises the question of why give Vladimir Putin a waiver to, to build his pipeline while simultaneously canceling <laughs> high-paying career energy jobs for the XL uh, pipeline and eliminating our own uh you know, energy independence uh, by by doing such and giving up our our own sources of energy. Average price of gasoline now up a dollar ten since Biden's been president. Why allowing the Chinese to you know reengage and and platform TikTok when we believe spying was taking place on that platform? None of this makes any sense except that Joe might be compromised and the the Biden syndicate family might be compromised, Kyron. Am I wrong to put the two of those things together? No, they're troubling, and it speaks to the issue of why there's going to be a Biden-Putin meeting in the first place. There's no real agenda. Um, The only agreement that they have is that relations are at a low point. But when you think about it, they have a lot in common, but they won't negotiate on it. One, um, the United States, under the Biden administration, has signed on for five more years of the New START treaty, one that the Trump administration was prepared to pull out of, despite the fact that um, under Putin there is an aggressive nuclear um, program going on outside of the New START limits, that there is an aggressive conventional military buildup of Russia. Um, We're watching all of this happen. Um, Number two, as you've already mentioned, Nord Stream 2, we've agreed to their own pipeline that will make and weaken um, our European allies, make them more dependent on Russia. We've already agreed to what the Russians need at this moment. Why have a meeting? And the meeting will be an opportunity for the United States to provide an assist to Putin so that he is on the global stage, although he's not part of the G7. He's meeting with the American president. This meeting should not take place. It's a meeting about a meeting. And I'm just extremely concerned about why it's happening in the first place. Scott, how is this going to end up? Um, And do you agree with me that probably Joe's talking points for 
post-summit with Putin have already been written, regardless of what really happens. I, I think that that's definitely true, Sean. Uh, there's no question about it. I'm sure that they will at least give some lip service to addressing the problems of cyber attacks and human rights, which are basically the two things that are making the most headlines with Russia right now. However, um, Putin has already indicated by some of his uh, rather sarcastic statements that, um, that you know, Russia is, certainly has no real intention of enforcing um, law, you know, its own laws or the laws of the United States regarding hackers operating within Russia, presuming that they're not involved with the government. He's not really going to do that. And he's actually thrown back at uh, Biden the concept of human rights by saying that, well, the American, quote, capital riots, unquote, show that America has a problem with suppressing domestic opposition, much as I do. He actually said that. So again, more examples of Putin and Russia using democratic ammunition against the country. Well, I appreciate you both being with us. Uh, you know, both know what you're talking about, and it's sad. We had adults in there, and the world had a genuine respect and fear that Donald Trump meant what he said. And yeah, he shook things up, and yeah, he forced other NATO countries uh, to pay their fair share. Now, now he's allowing Putin to build a pipeline to provide all energy to our allies' economies, uh, which is not good long term, strategically or in any way. To be honest, uh, uh, for the U.S. Anyway, thank you both, Scott Ullinger. Thank you, Kyron Skinner. Thank you. Eight hundred nine four one. Sean, your calls are up next. All right, 25 to the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN, our number. You want to be a part of the program. Matt is in Arizona. Matt, how are you? Glad you called. Thanks for waiting. I'm good. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to speak to Biden's speech to our troops at the Air Force Base in the U.K. last week when he said that climate change is the greatest threat to the United States. I just thought that that was incredibly demoralizing to hear from your commander-in-chief when these people have sacrificed and trained and they're away from their families to hear that their service is trivial because climate change is the top threat. It's actually to me deeper than that. And I think your instincts are right. I just, I take it, I take it more personally. It is, it is a dumb statement. It is a dangerous statement. It is a naive statement. It, to say it's more dangerous than Putin and Russia and their nuclear weapons, more dangerous than the, the geopolitical ambitions of China or radical Islamic terrorism or the mullahs in Iran or a nuclear armed North Korea and an unstable Kim Jong-un. Uh, it is it's it, it's it just it's beyond naive and it's not coming from a place of somebody that understands the history of evil in the world, and that is the biggest danger. You know, at this moment, and I keep emphasizing it, Russia and China providing the Iranian mullahs weaponry that they're shipping to Yemen for their proxy war with the Houthis is extraordinarily dangerous because that is an unholy alliance that the world does not need that is developing right before our eyes. And the, and the worst part is, is... You know, the world is laughing at him, and it's embarrassing. I, I, I think your I think your instincts are dead on. Last word. Yeah, I just I think it. I don't want to say nefarious. I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for. But those were those were planned remarks 
from Biden and his handlers. Those weren't that wasn't a gaffe, which is even more frightening. So I think that just well, remember the week before it was white supremacists are the are the biggest threat to the country. And then before that, uh, you know, it keeps changing with him. So he's all over the map. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. All right, ma'am. Well, listen, 2022 will be here soon enough. Hopefully we'll make some changes. I've got to hope for something. Uh, Melissa is in Florida. Hey, Melissa, how are you? Thank you for calling. Hey, Sean, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great, thank you. What's going on? I uh, wanted to uh, thank you for putting that national anthem singer at the hockey game on TV. I saw it, and I just got all choked up about it. And it made me start thinking about how patriotism was instilled in me, not only by my parents, because my, my father served in Vietnam, and, and, uh, but, but by my elementary teachers, and especially back um, in my 50s. And back in the 70s, during the bicentennial, I had a teacher named Mrs. Crawford in the Florida school systems in Pasco County. And she taught us the... Everything about government and our country, and she taught us. We said the Pledge of Allegiance every morning. We memorized the preamble, and we sang, "You're a grand old flag" every morning. And we had a substitute teacher one time, and apparently, she let, got left her a note and said, "The kids will know what to do." And so we went into our repertoire. And she was so blown away by it because we were all so patriotic about everything. She said it was far out. So, you know, just the memories of that flooded back into my head when I, you know, it was such an authentic moment. And when you compare it to, you know, Kaepernick and, and taking a knee and staying in the locker room and the NBA and the MLB. And I'm like, the only three sports that I haven't seen this wokeness emerge and and politicizing sports as i've been saying is a bad idea because it's such a unifying thing you know people are are there you know that they have one common passion regardless of your color regardless of your your background socioeconomic status doesn't matter you're high-fiving strangers because you have a shared passion you love your team why are we adding politics that is just going to poison that great environment you know what? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Uh, on, we'll, we'll do this at your request. We'll remind people, because every time I've heard it, it gives me goosebumps. And it'll be, I'm dying to see if when the, when the series moves from Tampa to, to Long Island again, if it happens again at the Coliseum on Thursday night. Let's play. This is what uh, Melissa was referring to. Game six, uh, the Islanders playing Boston. They ended up winning the series. They won this game 6-2, two open net goals, though. But it was uh, a great game, great series. And at the start, the singers start singing the national anthem, and then the crowd kind of took over. And now, please join Nicole Revive as we sing together our national anthem.
I mean, that was such a cool moment. Melissa's right. That was amazing. Um, it's very interesting because I, I, I interpret this differently. Linda, I'd love your thoughts on this. I took this as basically people have had it, and it was their way of taking their middle finger and saying to the whole woke cancel culture crap. Maybe maybe I'm reading more into it than it than I should, but that's how I saw it. And, you know, you made a really good point with Melissa, which was that, you know, music, TV, movies, sports, these are things that we can do with each other where we don't have to talk about our politics, which is so nice. It's a break. And this entire woke culture has ruined it. And suddenly so it's like, oh, I don't like this person or I don't like that person. So I don't support their music. I don't support what they do. And I just feel like they're trying to outwoke each other. And this, you know, this game was like a moment of just like, you're lucky you're in a country where you even get to do that. Maybe you should take a moment and remember. Anywhere else, they would silence you. Clint, North Carolina, next, Sean Hannity Show. Hey, Sean. Yeah, hi, how are you? Hey, good to talk to you. Yeah, um, the point I'd like to make is is the fact that in, in any professional um, contest we have in America, that there's rules in place um, for there to be checks and balances to make sure that not, that everything's up and above board. And the only reason that I believe that 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 was that rules will be taken away is one of two one of two reasons. One, um, that you just totally trust your competition. And for the um, side of the Democrats, I don't. They believe we're a bunch of deplorables, so I don't. I don't believe that that's the case. And so number two would be, unless you already believe that the election's rigged. Um, I mean, we test our racehorses, we test our, our cars and NASCAR after a race, we test our athletes to make sure there's you know no uh, enhancement drug enhancements, and you know it just makes no sense to remove all rules in in an election, unless one you really trust your competition, or two you believe you you got the thing in the bag if the rules are taken away. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? You know, look, I, I, I think that, for example, the th- my f- list of five things that we need, um, which is uh, signature verification, voter ID, chain of custody control, cleaned up voter rolls every election, and, and partisan observers, which is already written into the law, you know, get to observe right. the vote count start to finish. Tell me, what's, tell me where I'm, I'm being restrictive here. Not saying you can't have right. I'm, in-state early voting. I mean, and, yeah, just basic, simple common sense, so that the left can have faith and confidence in the integrity and and the outcome, and so can so can conservatives. Look, there's nobody that can call me and convince me, Clint, that George Bush in in 2000 won Florida by 536 votes, and that's the exact right number. Nobody knows what the right number is. Nobody knows. Because the system was screwed up. Chads, hanging, swinging, dimpled, pimpled, and all that crap we went through. And it wasn't really the finest moment. The Supreme Court had to jump in. Uh, there had to be a resolution. You have to have a, a, a president. But, you know, but then Florida got their act together. And then when they had problems in 2016, they improved it even further. We had no problems in Florida in 2020. So we can do it right. We can do it with integrity. And you can even do it with mail-in ballots with proper checks and balances. You know, one, you know, we'll find out when the Supreme Court weighs in, you know, we'll find out on the, on the important issue of ballot harvesting. I mean, I hope to God the Supreme Court doesn't capitulate on that. If somebody is go, wants to vote, they've got a hand in their own ballot. It's that simple. It's not complicated. And even if it's as simple as handing their ballot over to a mailman, it needs to be one person that gets the ballot, not, not 
going through, oh, the local community organizer picking them up. And then we're just trusting that person is is fair and honest. Um, Don in Iowa. What's up, Don? How are you? Hi, Sean. Thank you for taking my call. I appreciate it. Thank you. What's I'm going a, on? Uh, Bruins fan and, you know, I am a Bruins fan, and I love the National Anthem the other night. It was beautiful. No, and, and by the no way, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying the people of Boston don't. No, 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 no. Def- definitely no sore loser here. Well, listen, I'll uh, be honest. I, I kind of love my- Boston fans because they're rowdy like New York fans. I like rowdy people. Oh, best rivalry in sports is Boston, New York. Absolutely. Um, 100%. Before I start, though, I would like to wish our uh, uh, President uh, Trump a happy birthday. He hates his birthday. Don't do it. (laughs) I can tell you as a fact, he doesn't want to hear it. And by the way, neither do I. Nobody wants to hear it when you get older, when your birthday is. I understand, but I'm a Bostonian. He's a New Yorker, so I'm going to give it to him anyway. So, Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, Let me birthday, tip my hat to Boston. You ready? Boston, when they yeah. had Parrish, DJ, Bird, McHale, Danny Ainge, Johnny Mo- Bird, back in McHale, McHale in the Parrish, Parrish, cigar! Remember Johnny Most? One of the greatest. Stole the ball! Oh, yeah. <laughs> he stole the Bird steals the ball! I know, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Boston so I'm, fans I'm are good. Genre, They're awesome. By the way. What's that? I'm of your generation, by the way. So, yes, I remember it well. I was just coming out of, right, right as I was leaving the Marine Corps back in the early 80s. I think, I, I think the early Knicks were a great team when they had Earl the Pearl, Walt Frazier, Willis Reed, um, Loved it. the Busher, Bradley, Wingo on the bench. Um, that was a great team. But the Bird, Larry Bird versus... Um, Magic Johnson era, and and then probably you can't ignore Michael Jordan. You can't ignore Kobe Bryant and Shaq and all these great players. They were amazing. I mean, there's, you know, I'm not a big fan of LeBron James only because you know I I, I just don't like his his antics off the court. I respect the hell out of his talent. I mean, he's an amazingly gifted athlete. I mean, just just yeah. it's a superstar to watch. Fun to watch. Love his talent, absolutely. Now, you know, the reason I'm calling is about this uh, Putin-Biden behind-closed-doors meeting, which to me I find, as an American citizen, totally unacceptable due to the fact that he, uh, Joe Biden just canceled all of our pipeline deals, all of our drilling, offshore drilling deals, and, and then went ahead and approved the uh, Putin pipeline to be finished, to which... He has greatly weakened the European continent and our own sovereignty as well. You know, it just is embarrassing. I'm not buying Joe's excuse that they can't hold a joint presser because it's, it's, it's not going to be a competition. Joe's talking points are written. I'm telling you right now, they're, they're already written. It doesn't matter what happens in that room. And if I had to guess, I think Putin is going to roll over him subtly he'll probably be more subtle about it than anything else and he's going to walk out of that room saying he's a mess all right that's going to wrap things up for tonight all right hannity nine eastern i was telling you about this north korean defector that says american ivy league colleges are worse than north korea anyway that uh student is going to join us also don jr tonight texas governor greg abbott piers morgan greg jarrett Leo and Larry and Mike Huckabee and more, 9 Eastern on Fox. We'll see you tonight. Back here tomorrow. Thanks for being with us.